I was crossing the street in Vermont when I was 14. I ended up getting hit by a car, had a fractured skull, basically ended up being rushed to the hospital in Albany. I was in a coma. I woke up after three days and I just realized that I was so, so incredibly lucky. And so I needed to do something valuable and important with my life. Welcome to the podcast where we introduce you to incredible humans who share their journeys with the mission to inspire you to harness your own inner tenacity to drive your life and career forward. And now, your host, Adam Posner. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the podcast where I bring in the best and the brightest in the world of business, marketing, and personal growth to help you harness your inner tenacity and drive your career forward. My guest today on the podcast is Liz Elting. Liz is a founder and CEO of Elizabeth Elting Foundation, an entrepreneur, linguophile, that's a new word for me used on the show, philanthropist, feminist, and a mother. After living, studying, and working in five countries across the globe, Liz founded TransPerfect out of an NYU dorm in 92 and served as a co-CEO until 2018. And TransPerfect is the world's largest language solutions company with over $1.1 billion in revenue and offices in more than 100 cities worldwide. Kudos to you. And today, Liz helps empower women and other unrepresented unrepresented groups to hopefully put them in a better position to do all the great things that she's done with TransPerfect and elsewhere, plus more. And we're going to get right into it. There's a lot to unpack. So Liz, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much, Adam. It's so great to be here. And thank you so much for joining me. I, I love the background there and I appreciate it when my guests have a colorful background. It just looks better on, on our clips and social media. Great. Great. It's good. It's good looking set there. Well, awesome. Thank and uh, Liz is currently in Rockefeller Center in New York. So it's a hop, skip it and jump from our studios out here in Long Island. So I think it's important, you know, you, you have quite, quite the, 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 the story, quite the story. And I think it's important to, to establish a framework for my audience and give them a little bit of background. And I love to talk about people's upbringings and, you know, you've lived all over the world, Portugal, Canada, then Caracas, and, and so on. Um, what were some of those fond memories of of early life for Liz that you made you fall in love with cultures and languages? Yeah. Well, thanks for asking, Adam. So yes, I was so fortunate because when I was eight, we moved to Portugal. Really interesting situation. My dad got the Kentucky Fried Chicken franchise, the right to open KFC in Portugal, which wow. is why we moved there. Yes, which was... And- but your dad was in advertising, right? And we'll get to that in a little bit. Okay, yes. so your dad got the rights to open. And back then, I'm sure it was a much different process than now, but interesting. You're right. Yes. And he was. He was first in marketing on the client side, and then he moved over to the advertising side. But he was always very entrepreneurial, and he loved that which was international. So he had thought before of moving to another country and being an entrepreneur, and then this opportunity came up. So we moved to there, and it was a wonderful, wonderful experience. I was in third grade and I went to two different schools there. I lived in the south of Portugal, uh, near Lagos. Then I got to move near Lisbon and it was wonderful. Um, I started studying languages for the first time in my life, Span- uh, French and Portuguese. Portuguese, of course. I was about to say, yes. Yes, Portuguese, of course. And I, I also got to walk around and go to the bakery and order oh, pastries in oh. Portuguese. Amazing. So loved it. It was a fabulous experience. Unfortunately, we needed to move back after only a year because the Portuguese Communist Revolution broke out while we were there. Crazy time to be there. It was dangerous. Our phones were tapped. Our mail was open. Especially as foreign nationals, right? Like it was 
they, they probably thought you were spies or something working for the government. One hundred percent. Exactly. Whenever people would say, "Oh, why are you here? What does what your dad do? Or what do your parents do?" And I said, uh, "He's bringing KFC to Portugal." And they were like, "Yeah, right. Okay. <laughs> he works for the CIA because the <laughs> Americans that were there that's they needed what a cover." Yes, exactly. So moved back to the U.S. Uh, for a year, and then my dad got the opportunity for us to move to Toronto. So moved to Great Toronto. City. It, yeah, have you been there? Uh, yeah, I went, I went to school up in Buffalo, so we were up in Toronto all the time. Great oh, city. It's like a smaller, cleaner New York. Great yeah. food, good people, nicer people. <laughs> <laughs> they are super nice there, and yes, so. Lived there and started continued with French, studying French. And then when I was in high school, I was fortunate enough to study uh, Latin and Spanish. So continued loving language. And boy, growing up in a lot of ways was wonderful. I loved learning languages. I, I also always loved English. I used to read William Sapphire's uh, language column in New York Times Magazine, if you're familiar with that. That was a million years ago. Okay. Well, let, me, let me ask you, so you, are you a quick... Are you a quick learn with languages? Like I would love, like I, one of my biggest regrets, Liz, was not taking Spanish seriously. Considering all the travel that I do now to Spanish speaking countries, I'm like, I wish, I wish I, I, I took it more serious when I was younger. And now, I mean, obviously they have, you know, tons of things, Duolingo and all these other things where you can learn and everything. And I just, I don't know. I feel like my brain is at a place now that where it can't learn like it used to. No, you're right. For for learning languages when you're young is the way to do it. And I I was fortunate to have that opportunity. And as a result, we I have two boys. We my husband and I have two kids, and we started them on languages young because it's so much easier to learn languages when you're young. And so, absolutely, I think they're wonderful, and it's so much fun. You feel like you're acting, and then of course you're you're bringing the world together. You're meeting people from totally different are. cultures and meeting them where they are in their language. And it was just so fulfilling. All right. It. And this is, this is not one of my questions, but favorite, favorite country and favorite city in the world that you, that you visited. What's your favorites? Oh. Everyone has got a favorite. Oh, you know, you know why that's hard because I, I love going to new places. And now when I go somewhere, I want it to be new, but I will tell you, I ended up doing my junior year of college in Spain and was able to live in Cordoba. And boy, boy, is Cordoba an amazing city. Have you ever been to Cordoba? No, I've not. I've, I've been in Spain, but I've not been there yet. Yeah, a lot of people skip Cordoba. They do. Or Barcelona, Madrid, even Sevilla, Granada. Yeah. Yes, but Cordoba is the best. Um, well, you feel like you're in another world there. And I had probably the most amazing experience doing my junior year there. All right, well, so I'll switch, I'll switch around. Favorite food city in the world? Oh, oh boy. Well, okay. Where you been? <laughs> Yes, I just I was uh, recently in Italy, and you know I love Italian food. I'm a pasta it's, lover. I was even saying last night maybe maybe on my bucket list is still I, I need to go live in Italy, in Florence, in in Rome, somewhere. Uh, so somewhere in Italy, you know, Rome. It's got to be. Yeah, yeah they don't. They don't there, there's no. It, there's no pre-made pasta there. It's it's all fresh and delicious. So I want to continue to to look back a little bit here, and I love to understand. Um, folks, parents, I mean, we talked about your dad for a little bit, uh, ad exec, entrepreneur, and we're talking back before modern technology. We're right now with the internet where it was so easy to find things. And your mom was an educator. H how did, how did that mix make you who you are today? Yeah. No, that's, that's formula. A, yeah. Yeah. First of all, yes. So my dad, you know, as you mentioned, was in advertising and he was also very entrepreneurial. Um, 
even though he did. And he went, once we moved back to the you know, North America, he ended his career at gray advertising. My mom was very interesting because she was always very, she was a great student, much, much smarter than I am. She was actually the valedictorian of her class in high school out of over 700 people. So she was very academically motivated. She wanted to be a doctor. Her father was a doctor and she used to do house calls with him. And she told him that. And he said, um, you, you can either be a doctor or a mom. What mm. do you want to do? And she thought, well, I have to be well, a mom. A lot, of, a lot of room in between there, Liz. Yes, exactly. But this was back in the day. My right. mom grew up in, you know, she was, you know, was born in the 30s, a different time. So she ended up choosing to be a teacher and, you know, then an educator, guidance counselor, administrator, all of that, which was wonderful. But she didn't. Uh, pursue her dream of being a doctor. She had a wonderful career and she really worked until she was in her late seventies, you know, until she was about 78 years old. But yeah, but I pardon me. I said, that's what educators do. They don't, yes, they do. They do. And she loved it. And she had an amazing experience and she was, yeah, it went great. But I realized, wow, I, you know, I'm lucky I don't have to make a choice. And that got into what I ultimately chose to do. But my parents were wonderful role models. They both had wonderful careers and they certainly taught uh, me and my sister the value of hard work. So they were fabulous mentors. Yeah. And, and, and I love getting that background too, because you could see the intersection, the entrepreneurial side, the education side to what you've created um, with your organization. But if, if, if you don't mind talking about it, you had a serious accident at the age of 14 um, yes. where, I mean, tell, tell us what happened there and tell us how that, if you don't mind, how that affected your life and how that built that resilience and tenacity. Yes. And I, I will tell you about that because I had, you know, I was thinking about it, you know, because I have a little more time to reflect now. And certainly that accident had something to do with it. And then I had some, yeah, experiences uh, also that I can, well, I'll come back to them. But as far as the accident itself, because that was the worst and I was the, I was the luckiest. But what happened is I was crossing the street in Vermont and this was on a lazy summer day when I was 14. And I ended up getting hit by a car, had a fractured skull, Aye. basically ended up being rushed to the uh, the hospital in Albany. The hospitals in Vermont could not handle what I had. And I was unconscious. I was in a coma. There was another boy. There was a boy in the hospital who had a similar accident. He was hit by a car. He was riding a bike. And my parents were sitting there praying with his parents on, oh, my God, I hope they, these kids come out of this. My parents were saying, well, gosh. Maybe she'll be in a wheelchair for the rest of her life, but hopefully she will still be able to talk and think and not have severe, severe brain damage. Anyway, after three days, only one of us woke up. It was me. The boy didn't. And I woke up out of my coma, coma, sorry, my coma after three days. And I just realized so that I was so, so incredibly lucky. Um, Recovered for the rest of the summer because it was it was a difficult situation. I had one broken leg. We thought the other was broken. They had to re-break the first one. I ended up going back to school, of course, in the fall. This because this happened in early August. I went to school in the fall, and I had a platform shoe, crutches. I was picked up by the special needs bus, and this this was when I was brand new at my school. I started yeah, not, not a great way to try to make friends and 
fit in, assimilate. Exactly. And basically, no, I, I was walking up and down the steps with my crutches because we didn't have wheel, uh, uh, elevators back then. Their schools didn't need to have them. So anyway, I was late for every class. I was really an outcast. I made mm. no friends. And high school was a pretty terrible experience. I will say it got better second semester when I was off my crutches, but it was just so humiliating. So it's tough. It's tough. And, and at age 14, I mean, that's a developmental. I mean, that's when you're, you're figuring out who you are. That's self. Right. right. And who I was, was I had gone from 90 pounds to 77 pounds. I had this Frankenstein shoe up and down the stairs. And yes, it was not who I wanted to be. And that really lasted through high school, even though grade 10, as we say in Canada, was the worst. Um, 11th and 12th grade weren't much better. I, I remember there was this horrible girl, Alex, who, when I sat in my Spanish class and I sat in the front row because I was loving Spanish, she would kick me through the hole in the chair. Every day. I didn't know what to do with myself because I was, you know. Kids are so mean, awful. Kids are nasty. And so, you know, that, anyway, got through high school, graduated when I was 17 and then came to the U.S. for college. But I realized from that experience that I was a lucky one. I was the lucky one between him, me and that other boy. And I could have, I so dodged a bullet. I could have, you know, I made a mistake probably. It was probably my fault when I crossed the street. Maybe you weren't looking, you don't know. Maybe I wasn't looking. I hold myself responsible. And I was the lucky one. So I but, needed to do something valuable and important with my life. So, I mean, that's that's incredible. Like where you had, you turned such a negative experience into a, a, a life lesson. So you went to Trinity, your your love of language is developed, and then grad school um, at Stern, and that's really where the kernel of of TransPerfect came about. I'd love to hear the the origin story in a dorm room, NYU, as as much as you'd like to share about the origin story. Sure, absolutely, and I will tell you what happened is right after graduating from college, went to Caracas, Venezuela, did a an internship in finance. It was great for my Spanish. Came back to the U.S. and then. When I was passing through New York visiting my sister, um, I I actually thought I would end up in D.C. and do something international. But my sister was at Ogilvy, the ad agency, actually mm -hmm. a lot of advertising in my family. And she said, I know you love languages and you're interested in business. Ogilvy has a translation company. You should call up and see if they have a need. So I called them up. And fortunately, I got a job there. And this company at the time was the largest translation company out there. It was about 90 people. And I was able to be in production first and then move over to sales. And I really learned the industry. And I loved the industry. And I loved the culture of the company. So I got it was a lot it was, it was It was different then. I mean, I, I started my, my, my background. My first internship was at Gray. I spent 15 years in Adland. Um, and it's it was different then. I mean, things changed. And I mean, I, I've been out of it for, for about eight years now, but things changed, you know, with, yeah. with technology and the way companies were run and independent agencies versus conglomerates. And it still back then had that Mad Men feel, right? There was a vibe. There was a certain ethos. There was a swagger, like happy hours were happy hours, right? Old school <laughs> happy hours. Like people got crunked, right? Like yeah. people, right? It was fun, right? Like, oh. and I mean, it's still fun. Listen, I have friends that are still in the industry, but it's it's a different business model now. It, it changed. It is, and my dad was at Gray too. That's where he finished his career. And he was probably a suit and tie account exec back then, right? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. oh yeah, dapper, absolutely, <laughs> dapper Dan. <laughs> but um, so I loved the industry, but I left after three years because I thought I don't know what I can really do. Hmm. Um, 
you know, it was a relatively flat organization and I was very motivated and very competitive. So I went back to school and got my MBA. Then very briefly after college, I'm mean, sorry, after grad school, I, I thought, I know I love the language industry, but you know, I need to find a real job, a job. I just got my MBA from NYU in finance and international business. And, you know, I need to make that worth something. So I thought I will try out finance, even though that didn't seem to be where my that heart didn't was. feel right. It didn't. I mean, even I had my internship in Karak has happened to be a financial internship too, because that's what I got matched with. And I, but I thought I'll try it one more time. It's practical. Everybody right. who goes to NYU business school, they wanted, they wanted like 70% of majors were finance majors. So anyway, I tried it out. I got there. I realized, oh my gosh, I'm the only woman in the place. And I mean, it was, a, and it was to do, um, equity arbitrage. Yeah, still thought, the boys okay. club. Mm-hmm. It was a boys club. I thought, okay, I can try this out. I like boys. <laughs> so I was there. And whenever the phone rang, my boss would yell, Liz, phone. And actually it wasn't just my boss. Everybody would yell, Liz, phone, because I was the woman. Hmm. And I thought, oh God, I just got my MBA from NYU. And now they think I'm the receptionist. How did, how did, how did, I mean, how did, how did that feel? I mean, that was, you know, not too long ago. I mean, we're not going to, you know, age you here, but that was still in recent history, yeah. right? I mean, that's, I mean, not so yeah. long ago. And I mean, it's still obviously happening in corporate America, but what did, what did you do to change that? Yeah. What could you I do? Thought, well, I even said, okay, I'll prove myself with my worth. I'm going to come in seven, seven thirty in the morning. I'll stay till the job's done. And I would stay till midnight and I would get ahead of the game. And then I went back to my boss and I said, okay, I, I'm finished my work. What more can I do? I really was going to prove myself. And he said, well, <laughs> you could go around to each guy and see what supplies they need, you know, paper clips, um, you know, staplers and check the closet too, while you're at it and then order some supplies. And so some I just, thought, admin okay. job. <laughs> yeah. So I just thought, wow, this is not for me. I, I don't appreciate this culture. But then I also very quickly learned number crunching was not for me. I was putting uh, numbers in spreadsheets and it was so dry. And I thought I didn't want my boss's job. I didn't want the- It's not the life you wanted. It's not, it's, not what you want, it. it's not what you wanted to do. Yes. So so I thought I loved the translation industry. I had ideas back then on how it could be done better. And it is the beginning of the globalization of business. This was mm-hmm. 1992. I thought, what better time? I the am advent going of to- computers, the advent of early, wow. early, early, early stage internet, and at least from a technical perspective. You saw the writing on the wall that the I, world was becoming a smaller place. I did. I did. So I and I, but I also thought, wow, okay, I will do this. I don't have a a lot to lose because. This, I just started at this job. I haven't been making a lot of money, but I also thought, this was the other thing. I thought, wow, if I'm going to do this, I have to create something big. And and the reason I did is there were some other people from the company I'd been at who had gone and started their own translation companies. And I thought, well, I can't just do what everyone else does. But the other reason was I thought, you know, I got my MBA and I, I am very competitive. I want to win. <laughs> you know, I was dreaming big and I want to win and I will do whatever it ca- takes. And I was young. I was single. You know, I mean, yeah, I didn't have kids. So it was a wonderful time to do it. So 
that was the goal out of the NYU Business School drummer. Oh, and, and the last thing I'll say is there were, ten, and the reason I point this out is there were 10,000 other translation companies at the time, but they were tiny. And I think this what, is really important. Yeah. Because, um, yeah, the concept is you don't, of course, have to invent something entirely new to be wildly successful. The, they were tiny companies, mom, mom and pops. And I thought, we need a real pioneer in this space. You know, someone who's thinking like a business person who is not just doing the hard work of translating. And those other people, they were wonderful translators, but they were doing the labor-intensive, high-level work of translating. They couldn't scale their companies. I didn't, have, I didn't have that. Pardon me? You can't do both. You can't be in the you trenches in the, in the clouds, Scott. You know, right. dirt and clouds is a hard thing to pull off. I know it. Yeah. And I didn't have the ability to do the translation anyway. I knew the languages, but I didn't have that kind of ability. So I thought, okay, we will scale this into the world's largest translation company. All right. Well, it's easier easier said than done. Easier said than done. Like, what were those early days like of building a company? And listen, I mean, you were new to the business world as well. What were some of those those early lessons learned the hard way, as they like to say? There were a lot of lessons. Um, there we were in that NYU business school dorm room. Um, and, uh, you know, some crazy things happened there. And everything from my opening the coffee maker to have some coffee after having worked 14 hours and uh, straight. And 100 cockroaches came out, streaming out. And that was pretty disgusting. Well, New York City <laughs> for you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I guess so. But, or, or when the time we got our very first project, I went, I said to the client, okay, it's ready. We'll send it to you. And they said, oh, I'd love to stop by your office and check out the operation. And I thought, this is an NYU dorm room. There's no operation to check out. But she insisted. So I remember she met us down or met me downstairs. And I, I literally intercepted her. I wanted to make right. sure she didn't get past that doorman and up to nope. the room. So there was that. And then client number two did the same thing, except he did pass the doorman and appeared at our door without even warning me. <laughs> so, no, I mean, we had all what, kinds of crazy. Yeah. What was that? I mean, what was that? Were they, were they impressed that you were, you know, grad students that built out this company or were they like, what, what is this? What is this hobo operation? <laughs> yeah, no, that's a great question because back then, I mean, back then it was a different time and, people were not working remotely and it didn't look good to work remotely at all. So I think people, I'm not sure at what point they figured out, that, but be, because I think they might've thought it was an actual office before they got there. And Maybe. then, yes. And then I just avoided it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then I just avoided the conversation and I said, okay, here's your project. Let us know if there, you have any questions. And of course, we're very excited about the next one. But yeah, I, I think they were very unimpressed. <laughs> how did how, how did you, like, what was what was taking it to the next level? How did you guys know that you were making it, that you were onto something? How did you know it was, it was this, this is a big thing and we have a real company here? Right. And, and that was the thing. After those situations happened, um, we very quickly realized we have to get out of this dorm room into an office. So the goal was to be out of that dorm room with two into an office within six months. And right at the end of six months, we we're able to pay for that first office. But as far as when we realized, I mean, it was just intense labor uh, every day for a very long period of time. So re- requiring ourselves to do 300 letters a day, right. make 300 phone calls, and not letting ourselves up for air until we accomplished each goal, each 
weekly goal as far as numbers, each uh, monthly goal as far as revenue, and and you know, little by little, we got there. Right. I mean, I, I heard that you started with like nothing, like five to ten thousand dollars credit card debt, like yeah. and, and 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 you made it. Hey, everybody, I want to talk about a product and platform that I absolutely love and our latest sponsor, Interseller, the prospecting and outreach platform of choice for recruiters and sellers. Whether you're doubling down on business development or recruiting talent, Interseller does all the heavy lifting of finding contact data, automating the email and follow-up process, and syncs all that rich data into 20-plus CRM and ATS platforms. Reach out now and get going on a two-week free trial and let them know you heard about it from Adam on the podcast today. Check out the link on the website. Appreciate it. The origins of this show are, are, are still rooted in, in hiring, talent acquisition, recruiting. Um, tell us about hiring early on. Like, what, what were some of the some of the, the interesting experiences that uh, that laid some groundwork for future ways of thinking about building teams? Right, and obviously, it's all about the hiring. I mean, if of course, when we hire the great people, we can we can mm. you know create. Reach the stars, but we made some mistakes early on. I mean, we had all kinds of situations. We had uh, someone who literally fell asleep sitting up <laughs> when he was working. I mean, we had you know, we we thought, okay, we need talented linguists. So, brought this woman in who was a talented linguist, but she refused to empty her garbage. And this oh, was God. yes, this was when we were in our first talk about office. the cockroaches. Yeah. Well, this was, yeah, so this was the first office after the dorm room. So no cockroaches, but it was an executive suite situation. And it was a very low budget, low end executive suite situation where we had to all empty our own garbage. And I was doing it, my partner was doing it, and our few employees were doing it. And she just said, no, no, we don't do that. I don't do that. I was not brought up that way. (laughs) So I learned quickly, it's even more about attitude um, and personality and motivation and drive than it is about skill set because she had the skills. I mean, she was a very talented Spanish linguist. So learned that. Um, another mistake, or I guess actually it's maybe a management technique um, I learned is we we hired someone else who was a project coordinator and he ended up, basically I, I caught him <laughs> writing a note to one of our vendors that you really should charge TransPerfect more. I mean, they, they can mm. pay you more. Really? Who thought, the hell would do that? That's so right. crazy. I mean, we, it's like immediate we, termination. That's like like espionage shit right, right there. No way. Right. right. He stuck this note in there and we caught it before it went out. And I learned from that experience that you really need to incentivize the employees to to concern themselves with the revenue and the profit of the company and really align incentives. So that was another very valuable lesson I learned. When, uh, when did yeah. please? Yeah. Oh, when, should I? Yeah, go. Uh, when 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 was there was there a point like you you're building this company? There was success. There was financial success coming in. Was there was there a moment in time or or over a period of time when you're, when when you and the team and your partner were like, this is this is big. We got something here. I think we were always shooting for more, you know, I think, and I think that's important not to be complacent. Uh, I think from the outset in the dorm room, we said, okay, if we're going to do this, 
we want to create the world's largest language solutions company with offices in every major city around the world and a real one-stop shop. So the answer is we, we were growing and we were growing nicely. We were in the early days doubling every year and then in the later days increasing by 50% or 30% a year, you know, of course it gets, but, but we were, what, what ended up happening is we actually did not reach that ultimate goal until the very end of 2017, after we'd been in business 25 years. And at that point, we became the largest company in the industry in revenue. And so the whole way along, I mean, we were doing well, but there was always more to do. Um, more revenue, more profit, and you know, more offices, more services, everything. Right, always always expanding there. How did, yeah. how did you, as a company grew in size to you know so many employees, how did you stay in touch with, with the in, in the vein, in the thread of like what's happening on the ground with employees and clients and customers. How, how did you stay, how did you stay close to the ear to the ground? Yeah. And that, that really was my favorite part because I mean, a whole slew of ways, a whole bunch of ways, um, as far as the employees themselves, uh, basically I, well, one of the things I actually learned, and, and I think this is kind of, val- uh, was a valuable lesson for me is I had an employee sitting right outside my office who I worked with and I talked to her all the time. I worked with her all the time. So I thought everything's good. And then one day she quit Hmm. and I thought, how could that happen? You know, you never want to be surprised when someone quits. And I really learned from that experience, the importance of one-to-one meetings. And so the answer to your question is one of the ways we did it is I insisted once I learned that valuable lesson that I meet with my direct reports once a week or at most once every two weeks to really sit down and talk for an hour about, you know, what is going right? Well, first of all, how are you? And then you have to say, how are you two or three times or five times to get to the right answer? Yes, personally and professionally. Also to get feedback from them on how how they feel about things are at the company and if they have any ideas and then to give them feedback and then finally to talk about their their long-term goals as well and make sure you know we're doing what we need to get them there. So the answer is lots of one-to-one meetings with direct reports and even skip level meetings with people mm-hmm. who are not your direct reports. So I think that was a very va- valuable and important way to do it. Also employee surveys. I love employee surveys. You think people are truthful on those? I mean, I guess they're anonymous, right? Like well, I- Right. That was yeah. always my rub on it. Like how many people just click on anything just to get through it? Or how, how do you incentivize them to take it seriously? Yeah, that's a great question. And what we did is sometimes we had them put their names on them because the feedback was more valuable when we knew who was saying it. But sometimes we did them anonymously because then we could get information that we wouldn't get if they're if they had to put their name on them. And it was surprising how much valuable information we got. I think people... You know, if they're not happy with you, something often they will tell you. Um, So I've got a lot of very valuable information there. Um, Also exit interviews, of Mm -hmm. course, because then people will be more truthful. Right. Um, And if they see you making the changes, right? If they see you making the changes, like, listen, we're listening to you. We're making the changes. They're going to be more incentivized and interested in sharing that that insight. Yes, absolutely. And I, and I, that's such an important point because, 
you know, when you're growing and when there's a lot to do, people would say things like, okay, let's just do another survey. And, and the point was, we, if we're going to do it, we need to make sure we're really acting on these things. Because if we're not, people are, are just going to be like, why bother? They don't care what we say. Yes. Yeah. Couldn't agree more. And then as far as staying close to the clients, as we grew, that became harder. And that was the same thing. We did annual surveys. We did um, que- questions after each job, like how did we do? Also regular phone calls with clients and VIP events with clients. And and we also did the same kind of events, by the way, with employees. And that was another way to keep in touch with them, like production conferences, sales conferences. All right, show them that you care and up their education and help them improve so they can contribute that knowledge back into the organization, right? Always be learning continuous education. That's the way to go. So Liz, I wanna I wanna I wanna make a little bit of a left turn. And yes. it's a big part of the story, and I wanna handle this with, you know, a, for legal and emotional reasons the right way. And I want to talk about toxicity in the workplace, right? And you went through a very situous, very serious situation and we could talk as little as much as you want about it. But, but how, 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 how did this chapter of your life really set the tone as we move forward, as you moved on to the next chapter after TransPerfect? Hopefully I did a good way of setting that up. I think I, (laughs) yes. Well, First of all, it, my time at TransPerfect was amazing. I learned so much and I worked with so many fantastic employees and people who became friends and a, a second family. So that was wonderful. Um, during my time, I also, so I learned for sure. And then I also saw situations that were not so good, you know, with respect to related to toxicity in the workplace, um, whether it was how people treated each other the lack of respect, whether people were experiencing sexism, whether if they were from a certain group of people, Mm -hmm. a diverse group of people, maybe they weren't treated reasonably or fairly. So I, you know, kind of kept all that in my head. And I thought, wow, one day I really want to focus on these issues when I have the time. And then I sold uh, five years ago and I started my foundation and with my foundation, I really do focus on these issues. Uh, the mission of my foundation is to help support and empower women and marginalized populations. And there's so much work to be do to do. Uh, there's so much work to be done, and um, I really focus on that because I think it's so incredibly I important. Love it. I love yeah. I love it. I love that you're taking. I mean, listen. You, I'm sure you sold for for a pretty penny. The company was worth a lot, and now you're putting that into a really important mission. Let's 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 peel back the onion a little bit. What, what are what are what are a couple of those most important missions within the organization? And where where do you feel is is the biggest lift? Is is the hardest to 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 really make a difference on? Yeah. Well, just kind of stepping back, I think the hardest thing to make a difference on in our world and in our country certainly is we have the haves and the have nots. We have Mm -hmm. people who are born into the right situation and they are given the education, they are given the resources and they, they will be in good shape. They will have a a reasonable job where they can make money and perpetuate, Mm -hmm. you know, their situation. And then we have the rest of the country and the world where that is not the situation. And unfortunately it's getting, if anything, it seems to be getting worse, you know, in recent years. So that to me is the biggest, biggest issue. Really. My biggest focus is, focuses equality for all. I mean, it's not fair. I'm one of the lucky ones. I was born into 
a family where education was emphasized and paid for, where I had the opportunity to be an entrepreneur. And a lot of people don't have that. So helping people from uh, communities or, or families or backgrounds where they don't have those things is is important to me, such as fi- funding education. I do that in a number of ways. I'm involved in NYU Business School, where I went and have some scholarships there. Trinity College, where I went undergrad, Fantastic. involved in scholarships there. Um, also, and then I am involved in WashU and St. Louis and University of Michigan and other schools. But because I think people getting access to higher education is critical. So that's one thing. Another is encouraging people to be entrepreneurs. Um, I think entrepreneurship is another great equalizer. Mm-hmm. A lot of people can do it. I mean, it's and it, a lot of people have ideas on how to do it. And again, you don't need to be an inventor. You just need to do something better to solve a problem. And I really encourage people to do that. And I'm involved in that with Trinity College, where I went, undergrad, as I said, and NYU Business School. I'm involved in what I think is the best accelerator program in the world. It's called Endless Frontier Labs. And it's kind of put on through NYU Business School, sponsored through NYU Business School. But these are entrepreneurs all over the world who come in, who apply for it. And they are digital tech, deep tech, and life sciences entrepreneurs. And basically, they get mentorship, they get access to investors, they get free labor from MBAs. And I support women each year at the end of the program. Each year, I I donate to a few of those. So that's another one. And, you know, and then the American Heart Association Social Impact Fund. Always, always a good cause. Always a good cause. So as, as, a, as a recruiter, as a girl dad, and one of my missions is to really empower my daughter. She's 11. To give her the tools now, right? I give her the tools now to really my, – my, my company is named after her. Those are her initials right there. Always looking over <gasps> me. Um, wow. That's – wait. I'm sorry. What is – those, N- those are her initials. Yeah. Nina Harrison Posner. She looks <sighs> – looks. that's that's a company right there. Um so whenever I have an opportunity to talk to folks like you who are insanely accomplished, worldly, and, and have so much knowledge to share, even, even at this stage of her life, what, what advice would you give you know, young girls, college girls to, to really put them in a, in a great place when they enter the workforce? What's that like singular piece of actionable advice? Well, I think, you know, you want them to be motivated. It sounds like she is. I, I think, you know, one of the pieces of, of advice I was given was, Never be financially dependent on anyone but yourself. And, you know, of course, that applies to, you know, a man, a husband, right. a, a parent, uh, a friend, anybody. So I think they, you know, should be motivated to be self-sufficient. And it's, it's so much more fun to be self-sufficient. Mm-hmm. And you you really are free. Then you are not dependent on anyone. You don't want to get into a situation where you're in the wrong relationship, but you have to continue with it because, of financial reasons. So I think, you know, the desire to be independent. And then I think for all of us, putting in the the work, you know, one Put of in the work. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you know, I talk, yeah, I, I talk a lot about that in my book. I know it doesn't sound very exciting. It's doesn't sound people always want to know what the silver bullet is, but yeah, you it's know work. It's, hard work. it's work. It's putting on in the hours, and, you know, hard work over an and, extended period of time. Right. And, and as parents, right, as, as parents, my, my wife's a, a, a very successful attorney. I'm an entrepreneur, business owner. I feel like as parents, it's our responsibility to lead by example. And both of our kids, they see it. Even my five-year-old son, he sees mommy and daddy working hard. He sees us being hands-on in the house and everything. I think you have to lead by example. So as we come close to the end here, let's talk about the book for a little bit. Dream big and win. 
First question, what did you learn about yourself in the process of writing this book? Oh, boy, that's a great question. What I learned about me. <laughs> that's my go-to. Don't steal it out of the podcasters. I don't know where you got it from. <laughs> Well, you know, I, I mean, I learned how hard it is to write a book, actually. That one is what. So the process I, into itself of, of putting, you know, thousands of words down. Because, like, I've tried to write. I, I could get, like, 20 pages of writing. Then you're like, <laughs> shit, like, that's a lot of writing. <laughs> Even that. I can increase the font a little bit. Right? Can we, put, can we put some pictures in there? Right? <laughs> that's right. So I learned how difficult it is to write a book and really to kind of think, okay, I went through all this, but what, what did this teach me? What did it mean that I can really share with someone else? So I learned that, that I needed to really, you know, nail that down. Um, you know, so I guess that's, that's what I learned. And by the way, I learned that I have so much respect for authors because I see what they, they, it was hard for it's me. It's not that easy. Yeah, I had help. Especially someone that's a linguist, like you're good with words and thoughts and putting the concepts together. But to do that over a a large, a large canvas that you have to fill. Yeah, it's hard. And I have so much respect for authors. Yes. And Liz, who who, who does this book for? Okay, I think it's for people like like your kids, like your daughter. And and the reason I say that is when I was in my twenties, I was excited to start my company and I I read every business book I could get my hands on. I mean, Mm -hmm. when I wasn't working and it was hard to find something like this. They were usually, you know, just written by people who are, you know, that I, it was all about how to do this and then how to do that. And, you know, usually written by men, they Mm -hmm. were dry. And I wanted something more vulnerable, more authentic, more accessible, where I could relate to the author better and who talked about what they did wrong. Anyway, so the answer is, and what they did right too. But so for young people who who want someone they can feel like they can relate to, who talks about all the things that went wrong for her, but then her tips um, so that it could still potentially work for them. It, it's really for anybody who wants to start a company or be successful in business. I, I try to throw in a lot of tips for for basically anyone in business as well. Fantastic. And we'll, we'll link it up in the show notes afterwards. Liz, what, what, what would you say your superpower is? What do, what do you do better than anybody on this planet? What makes you who you are yeah. so special? Well, <laughs> that's a hard one. <laughs> no, that's why I save it for the end. I mean, these aren't, you know, I don't, I don't softball it over here. <laughs> but, you know, because, uh, you know, I, like we all do, I hired so many people who are so much smarter than I am and so much more talented. And, and I think that is critical. But for me, I think it's just my, my grit, my determination, my tenacity, my perseverance. Like, I really believe, you know, once you decide to go for something, go all in, give it everything you have don't quit. And that, that I think for me is my superpower. So no special talents, no special brain power, just, right. you know, never quitting and giving it everything. And, and Liz, you really, you really set it up well for, for my last question. I, and I ask every guest this one, I mean, listen, you've been through a lot in your life. I mean, we talk about, you know, growing up the accident, being bullied, you know, having, having a tough time of it. And then you launch this company and you went through some shit that we didn't even touch on here. I didn't even want to get into it. You've been through some stuff, hell and back. You've been yeah. through hell and back, and now you're here on top. When you look back and you look at those times when you had to reach down deep into that well, into the bottom of that well, and pull yourself up and harness that inner tenacity to drive you forward. And now you sit here, gratitude, appreciation for this life that you built, your kids, your family, this business. You've empowered people to be successful and be able to provide for your, their families. Liz Elting, what is your compass in life? What is your focus? What is your North Star? 
Yes. And, and I love how, I love that you just said gratitude because that is such an important word, right? We, yes. And I feel it. And the answer is my goal, my purpose, my mission, my North Star, it's really equality for all. I mean, I know I talked about it earlier, but I, you know, it's the luck of the draw, what we're born into, what race, what religion, what community. And I'm a lucky one. And it's not fair. It's not right. I think everybody deserves a, a fighting chance. They deserve a, an opportunity to achieve their dreams. And that's what I really work on and am focused on every day. And that's my ultimate goal. I absolutely love it. Liz, I want to thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, this has been a fantastic conversation. Um, everyone, if you want to learn more, you could go visit LizElting.com. I'll link it up in the show notes. You could check out the foundation at ElizabethEltingFoundation.org and check out our book, Dream Big and Win, which we'll link it up in the comments. Find it on Amazon or wherever you buy books, right? Where else, Liz? Where else can folks find you and connect? Oh, yes. No, all of those ways. Yes. And then on social media as well. Yes. LinkedIn, uh, Instagram. Yes. All of that. Absolutely. All of that. Well, Liz, I want to thank you so much for being open generous with your time and sharing your wisdom with my audience and myself. Thank you so much, Adam. I've loved chatting with you. It's been fabulous. Awesome. And everybody out there, if this show meant something to you and it, and it hit, it hit home, sharing means caring, leave a review, a rating. It goes a long way. Remember you can find out more and all past episodes at the podcast.com. Follow us on all the social media channels. Remember, be good to yourself, be better to others. Take care and catch us next week for another great episode of the podcast. Take care, everybody. Wisdom is forever, but for us, it's time to go. Thank you for joining us. Luckily, we'll be back with our next episode soon, jam-packed with more incredible humans. Thank you for listening, subscribing, and sharing. To join the conversation, search The Pausecast on LinkedIn. And to catch up on past episodes and more info, please visit www.thepausecast.com.